reading Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, if you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 4, where we're going to be today, and feel free to pull it up uh, on, on your phone or pull out the Bible that you brought with you and open up to, uh, in your bulletin to the sermon outline as well, and you can pull that out to help you follow along. We're going through a series at the beginning of this year on the life of Jesus, and we're looking at how his life progresses and how it helps us understand what it means to follow him as the Lord of our life. And today we're getting to a a famous scene, one that if you grew up in church or you went to Sunday school as a kid, you've probably heard of, the time when Jesus' disciples go with him on the sea only to meet a terrible storm, and they assume their own demise. But Jesus intervenes and calms the storm. And challenges them and challenges us about what fears are driving our decisions in our life. Now, as we look at this story on the surface, it seems so foreign to our life experience. Maybe a couple of you guys are sailors, but for the most part, we're not going to be confronted with the fear of a storm, a literal storm this week out on the sea and our own mortality. But as we think about it with any level of thoughtfulness, we realize how many fears drive a lot of our own lives. We have fears about our physical well-being and our physical health, just like these disciples did. We can, in worry and in fear, be consumed with what the future holds for our physical body. But it's not just our health, it can also be our relationships. We can be so afraid of what it means uh, to be in relationships with other people, or what do they think of us, or what are they saying about us. We can be afraid of our social environments, and whether we fit in, or whether we belong, or whether we're succeeding at school, making friends, and things like that. We can be afraid about our careers. We can be afraid that people are going to find out that we don't really deserve the role that we're in. Or we can be afraid that we're never going to succeed in the job that we're hoping to have in the future. We can be afraid that the good things we've gathered would be lost or that we'll never gather good things in the future. What we fear can drive the decisions and choices of our lives. What we fear and the choices we make around fear can determine which way we go, whether left or right and what's in front of us. Now, our culture responds to that in saying, well, just don't have any fears. Just live, just conquer your fears. Have no fear. Live life without fear. I think these are all clothing brands that I've seen at some point in my life. (laughs) Just have no fear. Um, And that sounds great, right? Like, that's awesome. I don't want to have any fear. But that's so unrealistic. Of course, we have to have fears. You want to tell me you have no fear? Okay, go to Disneyland and just lick all the banisters. Just every... (laughs) Everywhere you go. Of course we have to have fear. Fear helps us live and make our sense of the world. 
So in our sermon today, we're going to look at what does it mean to live well with fear? What do our fears determine about the trajectory and course of our lives? And how does our fear of God transform our fears of this world? So that's where we're going today. Let's start in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling up. Well, just a quick description of the situation here. They're on uh, what's known as the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a freshwater lake up in the northern part of Israel where Jesus spent a lot of his earthly time. And uh, this sea is known for being a very hazardous place to sail. It's calm some of the time, but it also has a lot of winds. It's 600 feet below sea level. It's a freshwater lake, and it's got mountains on either side. And so winds come uh, funneling down very quickly, and storms can break out very suddenly. And it was a place famous for shipwrecks. And so a lot of Jesus' disciples had been fishermen who had spent their whole life in this dangerous vocation, in this dangerous place, hoping that they wouldn't be caught in one of these storms. And today, their worst fears are realized. You can sort of picture if you ever turn on the Discovery Channel and they have like dangerous catch or whatever, that's today for these guys, right? And they know what they've gotten themselves into. The pastor just didn't say this, but I'm imagining they've probably lost friends and maybe family members to storms like this. They've heard stories of people dying in storms like this. Their wife has probably told them when they're about to go fishing, be safe, don't get caught in a storm. And now their worst fears are being realized. And in verse 38, it says, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Because even Jesus needed to sleep. He didn't have a baby, apparently. (laughs) And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? So here's, here's what I want you guys to notice in this. That their, the disciples' fear is real, it's valid, and it also exposes their heart. I want you to notice that the disciples' fear of the storm is not irrational, it's not unfounded, it's a very normal response, but their fear brings to the surface what they really believe about God. The disciples feared the storm because they assumed at their basic level that Jesus didn't care about them. You know, throughout the Old Testament, God tells his people, do not fear, for I am with you. That's what he tells Abram when he calls him out of Ur in Genesis 15. It's what God tells uh, Joshua when he calls him to lead the people into the promised land. Do not fear, for I am with you. And the disciples' fear in this moment comes out of a deep belief that Jesus doesn't care about them. Do you not care that we are perishing? Why did the disciples assume Jesus didn't care about them? Well, At a basic level, at a very human level, their assumption is, if you cared about us, we wouldn't be in this mess. And that's a normal thing that we say to God, too, 2,000 years later. God, if you really cared about me, I wouldn't be experiencing this trial or this pain. God, if you really cared about me, I wouldn't be in the midst of this storm. And we have this assumption, like the disciples did, that being one of God's people means being exempt from the trials and tribulations of this life. You know what the problem with that is? The Bible and real life, right? The Bible says over and over, in this world, you will have trials. That's John 16, 33, right? In this life, you will have trials. And yet we respond, don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're at risk? Don't you care that we're in trouble? 
I, I really want to make clear that, that the fears that these disciples are experiencing, the fears that you and I experience in this life, a lot of those are really valid, normal fears. It wasn't that Jesus wakes up and it's like, you guys are making too much of this. This is just a light breeze. This is just a little bit of rain. You'll be fine. Stop complaining, right? Because we often sort of downplay our fears that sort of way. No, they were really in a real risk of harm, just like your fears and my fears can be valid. But the jump they make, the assumption they make that that means that Jesus doesn't care about them is where the problem lies. Like in Psalm 44, we cry out, awake, why are you sleeping, O God? That's what Psalm 44, 23 says. Why are you sleeping, O God? Because our, our deep belief, like the disciples' deep belief, could often be, God, if you cared about me, you wouldn't leave me in this difficult situation. But the line the disciples say, don't you care we are, that we are perishing, sort of has this, this hint of what's to come. Because I imagine Jesus sort of wryly smiles at that question and says, you think I don't care that you're perishing? Right? Why do you think I've come to earth? Why do you think that I've come to give my life as a ransom for many? If anyone cares you're perishing, it's me. If anyone's come in order to die the death that you deserve, to go to the cross on your behalf so that you can have eternity with God, it's me. And yet they cry out to him, don't you care we're perishing? But even with gospel hindsight, we have the same assumption. We complain and we moan to God, God, don't you care about us? Our fears may not be a problem in themselves, but our fears do expose what we believe about God. And often that belief is a lack of trust in his goodness and his kindness. So we cry out to God about our fears of a relationship. And we say, God, don't you care that I'm alone? Or don't you care that I don't have friends? Or don't you care that no one likes me? I'm afraid that I'll never find someone. Or we cry out to God about our political fears. God, I'm so afraid of what will happen if that person or that party gets elected or reelected in November. Or we cry out to God about our health fears. God, I'm afraid that I'll never be healthy again or I'll never be myself again. And it's not that those fears are invalid or un inconsequential, that they should be uh, pushed down, but that those fears often have underneath them this belief that, God, do you really care about me? Which is what makes it all the sweeter when Jesus acts in response to their question and their, their mini faith. He awakes in verse 39 and rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still. Or if you want to translate that literally, get quiet and stay quiet. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. If you're tracking the greats in this passage, we've gone from a mega storm to now it's mega calm. A great storm to a great calm. And this is one of those just beautiful, powerful descriptions of Jesus. That he has this amazing ability, just with his word, to bring calmness and peace where there is chaos before. Just with his ability to speak, he has control over the natural order. If you've been following through the Gospels, you've seen that through his power of his speech, he's able to heal He's able to drive out demons. But now, it's not just over humans that his speech has power. It's even over nature itself. Is there a scientific explanation for this? Of course not. Like, that's what makes it a miracle. There's no human way that any of us can go to the Sea of Galilee and shout into the wind and have it listen to us. It's only because Jesus has the authority of God himself that he's able to speak with control over nature. At the end of Job, one of Job's challenges that he hears from God is God saying, where were you when I told the waves to go this far and no farther? 
And the implication is no human could ever have authority over the waves except for the Son of God himself who commands the wind and the waves and they obey him. Jesus is the one who alone has the divine power to say to the waves, be still. This should cause us to praise God and respond that uh, he is the one that has authority over even our deepest fears. Only God can calm the seas. This whole story, uh, the story of, of Jesus calming the seas, has a, an Old Testament background. It's found in the book of Jonah. If you're familiar with the Old Testament story of Jonah, uh, Jonah was a prophet who tries to run away from God, and he doesn't succeed, spoiler alert, um, and is out on the sea, and there's this huge storm that rises up. And it says that Jonah is asleep on the cushion when the, sea, when the storm comes, and men come and awake him and say, don't you care that we are perishing? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like our passage today? Yeah. The, the goal of the symmetry that Mark's putting here is to show us that just as Jonah saw that only God could calm the waves, Jesus is, in, as a son of God, the only one who can calm the waves as well. But you might remember that for Jonah, for the waves to be calm, Jonah has to be the one who goes, he thinks, to his death. For Jesus to calm the waves, he just stands up and speaks with a word, and the waves are calm. So the question then comes up, like, well, okay, so how does this apply to our life? Like, I, I get that it's amazing that Jesus calmed the storm. I get that it's amazing that he has the authority of the Son of God. But like, how does this affect you and me? Like, should I think that God's going to calm the storms of my life? Is that like a thing I should say or believe? Like, does that happen? Is God going to really uh, solve the things that I'm afraid of in my life? Well, I think there's a couple principles we could take out of this. One is, yes, God does care. Just as God cared about what the disciples were afraid of, he cares about what you're afraid of and what I'm afraid of. He doesn't ridicule our fears. He doesn't say they're unimportant. He doesn't say they're not his domain. He cares about our fears. And he is able to calm even the greatest storms, even the greatest problems. And we should cry out to him with faith and trust that he cares about what we need as sons and daughters of God. Now, because Jesus calmed the storm, it doesn't mean that there's a promise that everything we're afraid of will be taken away. In fact, Scripture often paints an the opposite picture, that God's grace is sufficient for us even in the midst of our deepest fears and deepest troubles, that God is with us even in the midst of pain and anger, that he often doesn't calm the storm, at least not on the timeline that we're expecting. But the hope of this passage leads us to, the, to our greatest hope, that one day, no matter what happens, he'll bring us out safely on the other side with him. Well, the storm is calmed, and it, to be honest, part of me wishes the story just ended here. You know, like, they were afraid. They called out to God. He calmed the storm. Go in peace. Right? That would seem like sort of a happy ending. But there's a, a second part to this passage, a, another rebuke that happens. Just as Jesus calms the storm and rebukes the storm, he now whirls around and rebukes his disciples. He says to them in verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Okay, I, I, can I just be honest with you guys? This is the part of the passage I understand the least and I'm the most confused by. So this is my best explanation for it, but I would love for you guys to wrestle with this with me. Because what I, what I think I see in this passage, what I think you'll see as well, is that faith and fear are put in contrast to one another. And that's where I'm a little confused and where I have a little struggle with this. Because I'd like to think that faith and fear can coexist. But what Jesus seems to say is that 
our fears, the disciples' fears and their faith seem to be at odds with one another. And they're having to make a choice between faith and fear. Throughout the Old Testament, fear and faith have been put in opposition to each other, right? Because in, for example, in in, uh, Psalm 23, David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs 19, 23, it says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. Um, fear and faith are often a, a choice that we have. Will we trust God, or will we uh, focus on what we're worried about and what we're afraid of? The disciples, in the midst of this question, are confronted with the, the awe-inducing reality that the one who has calmed the storm is now in the boat with them, and they respond with tremendous fear in verse 41. They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Do you hear what it says they're filled with? They're filled with great fear. Their fears have been transformed now. They've gone from being afraid of their own mortality to even a greater fear of what it means to walk with God. Because fear is driven out by greater fear. Fear is driven out by greater fear. The fact that they were afraid uh, of the sea is now driven out by the fact that they're afraid of God. Now, we don't, we don't like that language as Americans very often. We don't like to talk about the fear of God. It's a really important biblical theme, but we're kind of uncomfortable with it generally. We'd rather focus on the love of God or the mercy of God or the kindness of God. But the fear of God, I think, puts us a little bit at, in an uncomfortable place. But the Bible talks about it a lot. You know, in Psalm 130, verse 4, it says, With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. In Luke 150, Mary says, His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I would want you, I'd want me, to grow in our fear of God, not because it'll drive us away from God, but because our fear of him puts us on a, a path of trusting him, that he has authority and power that we can rely on. C.S. Lewis talks about the fear of God in his uh, wonderful little book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When he talks about Aslan, and one of the children asks and says, is Aslan safe? And what's the response? Oh no, child, of course he's not safe, but he's good. We often think of fear and, and goodness as at odds with each other, but with God we see them together. Fear is driven out the fear of the world is driven out by this greater fear of God. Why would someone overcome the natural fear of jumping out of a perfectly good airplane with a parachute? Well, there's the greater fear of missing the opportunity or coming back on land and looking like a fool. I, I often, because of my role, I get to be with guys right before they get married in the groom's room. And I often will get asked by grooms-to-be, hey, should I be afraid? I'm Like, is this Okay. <laughs> Um, and I get nervous when grooms-to-be don't ask me that. Um, and, but here's the thing. I've never had a groom run away the day of the wedding. They're all afraid, or most of them are afraid. You weren't afraid, whichever guy I'm talking to right now. I'm sure you weren't afraid, but all the other guys are afraid. Um, but they never run away. And I want to ask one sometime, like, well, why didn't you run away if you were afraid? I think the answer would be, well, I'm afraid that I would lose this woman I love. Like, I have this greater fear that I'll lose out on getting to be married to her than the fear of making this commitment. As Christians, we have a fear. We should have a holy fear of God, and that fear of God drives out the smaller fears of this world. 
for the disciples, they're able to endure the storm because of their greater fear of Jesus himself. So here's what I'd like for you as we sort of wrap up here. Uh, in the prayer project, there's a question here. Where do we focus our fears? And I would really love for you to spend some time thinking about what you're afraid of this week. I know that's really not an enjoyable process. We tend to deal with fear in general by avoidance. At least I do. Like I, I don't want to think about what I'm afraid of. But I, I'd love for you to spend some time with God, knowing that he is the one who has authority and control over all things. He, there's nothing you're afraid of that he doesn't have control over. And asking him, God, where am I focusing my fears? Am I encouraging fear in my life, in the stuff that I'm reading or watching? Am I sort of, um, am, I, am I making myself more afraid unnecessarily of things in this world? And God, how much do I fear you? God, are my fears focused in a healthy place that's driving me closer to you, or are my fears focused away from you? Or am I living in a fantasy land where I pretend I'm just not afraid of anything? God, are my fears focused in a way that's leading me closer to who you are? Let's close our time in prayer. Jesus, thank you that we fear you even as you take care of us. Jesus, thank you that you're good even if you are not safe. Thank you that you care for us deeply. Forgive us for, like the disciples, assuming because we're going through trials and tribulations in this life that it must mean that you don't care. God, we want to humbly bring you the fears that we are carrying this week. I, I imagine in this room there are some pretty deep fears of some very real problems. God, we bring these to you knowing that you do care for us and help us to see your power more accurately this week. In your name we pray. Amen.